1: Join us for a journey as we go back to the great civilizations of the past. Who were the people? What were they like? How did they begin? And how did they end? Let's find out on this episode of Fan of History. And hello, Dan. Back in the 560s. I am Bernie, Scranton, Pennsylvania, with Dan in Stockholm, Sweden, and he is gonna lead us. Last episode we talked about the Middle East in the 560s, and we're gonna continue with that area. Take it away, Dan.
2: Thank you, Bernie. You're welcome. We have Amel Marduk, Evil Murdoch, is the king of Babylon. He outsmarted his five brothers and became the king. But he also have a sister.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm.
2: An older sister, and we are not entirely clear on which sister this is, but she is married to a powerful guy. Mm-hmm. She is married to Neriglisar. Oh, Nergal Shara Ussur is Nergal Shareser in the Bible. Okay, this guy is a leading official under Nebuchadnezzar. He even was the Rab Mag during Nebuchadnezzar's western campaign. Sort of kind of a field marshal, I guess. Okay, yeah. He also owns a lot of land and is making a lot of money from 598 onwards. Okay. And he's so important, so he gets to marry one of Nebuchadnezzar's daughters. Okay. We have contracts where this Neri buys up a lot of property from a bankrupt guy called Nabu Apla idin of the famous Nursin family. Huh. And he's making money. Neruglissar has a lot of money. He is a governor of the Pagudu tribe. And he's a governor of Bitsin Magir during Nebuchadnezzar's time. So he has positions of power. He's a trusted official. Yeah. And this daughter he marries of Nebuchadnezzar could be Kashaya. That's the most common theory. Okay and now there are inscriptions appearing that he is the husband of a sister of Amel-Marduk that is i'm important i married the sister of the king but things are going south in Babylon quickly we can see the economic situation going bad almost immediately when Amel-Marduk takes over oh wow but not for Neriglissar he becomes richer Babylon becomes poorer and Amel-Marduk is not that popular hmm He's a big downshift from his dad. Yeah. But there is another guy we need to know about here Ooh. as well. Nabonidus. Oh, Nabonidus. Do you remember him? Yeah. He was at the Battle of the Eclipse, perhaps. Oh. So Nabonidus was some way connected to the Chaldean kings via marriage. He maybe
1: also married a daughter of Nebuchadnezzar. Oh, Okay.
2: Do you remember his
1: mom? Yeah, she was the Syrian princess, and she was, she was the she was the priestess of the moon god in Harran. Yes, and she's also incredibly old. Yeah, right. They say she might live to be over 100.
2: Yeah, she's one of the oldest person in ancient, uh, oldest people in ancient history. Yeah, almost. Yeah, Adad Guppi is her name. What's her name? Adad Guppi. Oh yeah, Adad Guppi. Nabonidus has a father, Nabu Balatsu Ikbi. We don't know anything about him but he might also have been an Assyrian or an Armenian. Oh, Adad-guppi is an Assyrian Armenian. Okay. In some sense, if yeah. she's if she's indeed the daughter of Ashurbanipal. Yeah, right. She was the daughter of Ashurbanipal. Amazing. Her mother could have been an Armenian. So, Adad-guppi is a moon goddess and she has influenced her son Nabonidus. So he is really obsessed with the moon god Sin. Yeah. So remember this, Nerglissar, the rich guy, and Nabonidus, son of the moon
1: priestess. And I was just going to say, I wonder if being at the Battle of the Eclipse had an effect on him, because basically the moon covers the sun, right? Yeah, he learned how
2: powerful the moon was when he was at the
1: Battle of the Eclipse.
2: Yeah. That is 23 years before these events.
1: Right, and if you were super, you super, know, you lived in those days, you didn't know what the moon was, and that was like, yeah, that would have been like, you know.
2: Can you handle one more Babylonian? I could. I think our listeners could, too. Okay, Nabonidus seems to be interested in doing official work and worshipping the moon god. But he has a son. He is quite old, too, at this time. And his son is Belshazzar. Oh, Belshazzar. (laughs) Yeah. And he is much more ambitious than his father. So Belshazzar is plotting for power. But we will leave Nabonidus, the moon guy... And his ambitious son, Belshazzar, for the next decade. But you
1: should remember them. Okay, we're going to talk about Belshazzar and how he gets in the Bible too, kind of, right? Later? Yes. Okay, I won't bring it up now.
2: And probably Belshazzar is
1: plotting against Amel Marduk. You know the writing is on the wall. Wink, wink. (laughs) Yes, but he is
2: second on the ball because Neriglissar is already leading a conspiracy. Okay. Against Amel Marduk.
1: Poor Alma Marduk. he should have just stayed as the third crown prince. <laughs>
2: yes, his life was much
1: better. He's now I seriously
2: run Babylon in the ground in one year and things doesn't look good for him.
1: I would not want to be the king back in those days. I, really, I mean, if I was a son of a king, I'd be like, listen, boys, you guys do it. I'll just stay in the harem.
2: I'll just become a scribe and then you're Ashurbanipal and you became the king anyway.
1: Yeah, like Ashurbanipal, but then he still had to do it. That that um, just kept reminding me of the the new Game of Thrones with the was it the dragons and it's all the intrigue House of Dragons yeah it's just, and Dan House of the Dragons yeah Sorry. House of the Dragon and Danelli Bellelli did an episode on how like all these ch- exchange you know how the po- transfer of power was always so murderous through history.
2: But now we'll move to Lydia, okay. And I found this interesting note somewhere that in five sixty one BC Croesus becomes the king of Lydia, okay. But we said he became the king in
1: 585. It's so confusing because of Herodotus, right?
2: Yeah. And I think our official stance here is 585. Okay. And the dating of what Croesus does is hard. Yeah. So I've just put a lot of things here. Yeah. Because he will be important later. Yes.
0: A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot, maybe your new best friend. For me, that wasn't an option. I never
2: really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me.
0: Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary.
2: You will? I once had the chance to go to the Aenian, Greek, and later Roman city of Ephesus. Oh, really? When I was in Turkey.
1: Nice. But you know what happened? When you went there, yeah, I do not.
2: I, I wanted to go there, but my friend said, Hey, let's hang out on this rooftop bar and drink beer instead, <laughs> and that's what we did. So I never went. I'm ashamed. I'm sorry, listeners. You
1: went to Ephesus, but you didn't see any of the temples and stuff. Is that what you mean? No, I just I was in a, on the coast, very close I to see. Ephesus, but I just didn't go there. Well, fan of history tour, yeah, we'll go and drink beer.
2: But uh, Croesus went there, at least some of his lackeys, okay, so he he fought Ephesus and um, he probably won. Okay. Probably used other Greeks to fight him too. So the Ionian coast, the, the coast, the western coast of Turkey is now constantly threatened by Croesus and the Lydians. Okay. And Miletus, the Ionian city. Yes. They send tribute to Lydia to be spared, okay, from
1: these attacks. They have thrown out two tyrants. They threw out two tyrants in Miletus. Yes. Okay.
2: And now they have a system of magistrates. Okay. That tries to pay off Croesus. Okay. But Croesus has a lot of money, so money is of course he likes money, but he also likes power. Yeah.
1: You don't want to have these extra cities around. I mean, if you if you were there, if you look at a map, right? He's right in the center. You would, of course, you'd want a sea line. You know what I mean? You'd want a coast, and there's so much money there.
2: Yeah, and if he goes east, he runs into the Meads.
1: Yeah. Right. He can only expand to the
2: west because in the east are the Medes, in the south there are the Babylonians, and he does. He subjugates uh, all of mainland Ionia, Aeolis and Doris. So the Carians, all these people we have mentioned in Turkey, the, the sort of Sevdu Greeks, yeah, they are all conquered by Lydia at this point. Okay, he even goes onto the Ionian islands. But in the end, that turns out to be too difficult, so he concludes treaties with the islands. Yeah. So it's only the coastal cities.
1: I don't have it in front of me, but I know there's a crazy story in Herodotus about all that. They say something about some trick or something. I, I'll, You know, I'll look it up and we'll talk about it another time, but yeah, some kind of trick. Sounds good. Yeah, yeah.
2: But now, with power in the Ionian Sea, Croesus taps into the trade with Egypt. Oh, okay. And all these Greeks, uh, all those Greeks going to Egypt, they are now partly working for Croesus, yeah. which makes him even more rich. Uh, remember that they conquered uh, Phrygia before yeah. the Lydians. Yes, uh, the the seem seems to be out of it; yeah. they are not around anymore, because this strong Lydian state is now stable. And we find Lydian presence in Phrygia in archaeology. Okay. Even in Gordion, the capital of Phrygia, there is from this time a Lydian citadel. So we can quite clearly say that Phrygia is a part of Lydia at this point. Okay. And we even have ivory plaques in different places in Turkey showing us how far this Lydian state stretches. And it's big now. Okay. It seems that Phrygia under Lydian rule is pretty much the same. So, the Lydian rulership of Phrygia still maintains Phrygian traditions.
1: Mm-hmm. This whole area's kind of been... It's all like the Hittites, you know, and they're still sort of ethnically similar. Yes. Yeah.
2: There is uh, an inscription attesting the presence of Croesus's son, Atis. Okay. Who is staying at the court of a local Phrygian ruler. Uh, of course, this local ruler is named Midas.
1: Maybe not the King Midas. We had him a long time ago, right?
2: Yeah, not that Midas.
1: Not that Midas. It's like a name that people can call people that there.
2: And the presence of Croesus' son, Atis, at this court of Midas might have inspired a legend in Herodotus. Yeah. Where Croesus has a dream in which Atis is killed by an iron spear. hmm. After this dream, Croesus forbids his son from leading military activities. Mm hmm. So Artis can't lead military activities, so goes hunting instead. <laughs> hunting wild boars. Mm-hmm. One particular fierce wild boar that is ravaging Lydia. That is one big boar. <laughs> and the Phrygian prince Adrastus is on this hunt with Artis. But uh, Adrastus throws a spear at this gigantic boar. And accidentally hits artists. Of
1: course he does. It's a Greek story.
2: <laughs> yeah, and artist dies by an iron spear, exactly as in the dream.
1: <laughs> you can't you can't you know, what's the word? You can't beat fate. And that's the that's the bottom line of the Greek stories, right? Yep. Can't beat fate. That's a whole big story in Herodotus' speeches and all that. So now Croesus controls
2: most of what is today Turkey. To the Median border, to the
1: Babylonian border. Right. So now we have the Medes, the Babylonians, and Lydians.
2: Herodotus gives us a list of all the people's Croesus rules. Oh, okay. He rules the Lydians, the Phrygians, the Mysians, the Mariandini, Chalibes, Chalybes, Paphlagonians, Thyni, and Bithyni-Tracians. He's even in Tracia. Yeah. Carians, Ionians, Dorians, Aeolians, and Pamphylians. It's a multi-ethnic empire if I ever heard of it. Oh, yes. And of course, a lot of these conquests might have been made by Croesus's father and not by him. Yeah. Especially if he didn't get uh, the kingship before 561. Correct. Herodotus makes a claim that the Lycians are not subject to the Lydians. They live in the mountains, and the Lydians' armies can't get to them. Okay. There's also the Cilicians who are already conquered by the Babylonians, so that's sort of a nail in the eye of Croesus. That uh, there is a little bit of Babylon up in mm-hmm. up in the Turkish mountains,
1: and this is where ha- um, this is the area where Herodotus is from too. So he kind of knows a lot about this.
2: Oh, that that's give, that gives gives him
1: extra credibility. Yeah,
2: and this leaves us with the situation. After the fall of Assyria up to this point, now we have three powerful empires right next to each other. The Lydians, the Medes, and the Babylonians. Yeah. So who will come out on top? You don't want me to answer that, right? (laughs) (laughs) Well, of course, it's Cyrus, who wasn't a part of any of these empires. But that's for later. Uh, Croesus seems to have continued friendly relations with the Medes after the peace. ...after the Battle of the Eclipse in 585. Uh, and he doesn't seem to have any intention... ...to take Median territory at this point. Yeah. He seems to be friendly with, uh, with the Medes. Yeah, I think you're right. His sister, Arianis, is married to Astyages. Okay. So they, they are closely related. It's the old trick of marrying your sister to another king... ...to have good relations. Yeah. But Chrysus is new friend... ...is Egypt.
1: Okay, yeah. Oh. So he has open up relations with Amasis II. Oh, the new king. Okay, right. And the old king was a friend of Babylon. Yes. And all those Greeks, although most of the Greeks going to Egypt are coming from Lydia. Yeah. All started by my friend Gyges. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and this is uh, benefits both kings. Egypt gets more trade and more Greeks... And Croesus gets a lot more money. Mm -hmm. There's, of course, also trade between Croesus and the Babylonians. But Croesus is also looking on mainland Greece. He has no plans to conquer Greece itself. Mm -hmm. But he is very fascinated with it. All the things going on there. Oh, right. And especially he loves the Oracle of Delphi. Yeah. And he seems to go there. He seems to send a lot of uh, nice things to the oracle. Yeah. He is said to have sent, this is probably Herodotus as well.
1: Yeah. A lion made of gold. And it's huge. Yeah, Herodotus says he brings gives a lot of stuff to the to the, um, to the the temples. Cups and lions and all kinds of nice stuff. And remember that the oracle at Delphi is a scam. Of course. <laughs> and they
2: love money. And they are getting money from Croesus. Yeah. And they fuck, oh, excuse me.
1: <laughs> they really got him in the end, too.
2: <laughs> they make some new rules at the sanctuary of the god Apollo in Delphi. Okay. If you are from Lydia working for Croesus, you can go ahead of the queue oh, to wow. consult the oracle. You're also allowed to sit in at the first rank. And they also allow Lydians to become priests at Delphi. Wow. That seems dangerous because that would reveal the scam. Or there would be a risk of that.
1: Yeah, that doesn't matter with these. Like, you know, if, like the priests, remember in the Middle Ages, they'd buy their priesthoods and stuff? Yeah. Comes to religion, you can make up anything. But anyway. So
2: Croesus is the favorite of the Oracle of Delphi, and the Oracle of Delphi is his favorite uh, oracle.
1: Yeah. I think he did come to the other oracles too, right? didn't he? I'm pretty sure he was very
2: probably, but yeah, not as
1: much. Not as much. No, he loved that one. He was a very big. He gave a lot of money to the a lot of money to the Greeks, a lot of gold things and stuff like that.
2: Yeah, one source credits Croesus with uh, making the first gold coins.
1: Oh yeah, we think it was laid earlier, but because we had electrum coins earlier, right? Oh right, right, right. But now
2: we have gold coins. Okay. And, of course, in Greek and later Persian culture, Croesus' name becomes the synonym for someone who is filthy rich. Mm -hmm. So how rich was Croesus? Well, his dad, Aliates, was very rich. And, of course, the area controlled by Midas is now under Croesus' control. And we have all this trade, all this money going to him. He seems to be incredibly rich.
1: He must have just been swimming money.
2: And when I first heard the expression, riches creases, in in Swedish, it's krösus. Okay. Which I thought actually was about the Roman crassus.
1: I always thought the same thing. You know that? I
2: always thought the same thing. And it's interesting that these two extremely wealthy persons have super similar names. Yes, there is a poem from 1390 in English, from the work Confessio Armantis by John Gower. Right. Where he says, I'll do the modern version. Quote, That if the treasure of Croesus and all the gold Octavian, forth with the riches Indian of pearls and of rich stones, were altogether mine at once, I set it at no more account than would a bare straw amount. End quote. You have
1: to explain that to me.
2: I'm not sure what he meant, but <laughs> in thirteen ninety people were still thinking about how wealthy Croesus was.
1: Well, I get your point, yes.
2: Okay, more, more from Herodotus here. In one Herodotus story, Croesus encounters Solon. Yeah. And shows him his wealth. Did we talk about this when we talked about Solon? Yeah, yeah, we mentioned it.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yes, It's interesting though, right? You got through it. You read it now too.
2: (laughs) Yeah, we uh, we can mention it again. Yeah. Because Croesus realizes this guy is extremely wise. Yeah. So he asks Solon, who is the happiest man in the world? And Solon responds that three people have been happier than Croesus. Yeah. Tellus who died fighting for his country, and the brothers Cleobis and Byton, who died peacefully in their sleep after a mother prayed for their perfect happiness. <laughs> and then Solon goes on to explain that Croesus cannot be the happiest man because he's not dead yet. Yeah. And we can only judge this after he has died. Yeah. And uh, of course, we will learn that Croesus isn't the happiest person in the world. Right. This is probably a legendary account.
1: Of course. It's just another. It was one of those Greek stories, you know, you can't fate, you can't. It's, I, even like me, I live like that kind of. And someone says, like, even the smallest thing, like, boy, this trip is going great. We're making great time. I'm like, don't say that until you get there.
2: <laughs> but it makes sense. Yeah. Because Solon is still
1: around. And. Why wouldn't
2: Croesus speak to one of the wisest men of his time?
1: Well, yeah, if that's true that he went there, yeah, they say Solon traveled all around because remember that because he put the laws into effect and he had a, and he couldn't change them unless he was present, so he went away for ten years. Yeah, so they say he went there.
2: Okay, in five sixty one, we have to talk about astronomy.
1: Oh yeah, I'm glad you said I saw that this thing. Yeah, fan of astronomy too.
2: As well, this seems to be impossible. But there is a claim that in 561 BC, all eight planets of the solar system, as well as the dwarf planet Pluto, fall into planetary al- alignment. Wow! And this seems to be the the latest time this happened. But I looked into it. Okay. And good contemporary sources said that. Because of the orientation and tilt of the planet's orbits, the eight major planets of the solar system can never come into perfect alignment. Hmm. The last time they even appeared in the same part of the sky was in AD 949. Hmm. And they will also be in the same part of the sky on uh, May the 6th, 2492.
1: Oh, I hope we could be around for that.
2: Yeah, so babe, look up at the sky in uh, 2492. <laughs> but actually, so this can't happen. I, I don't know why it's it's a, a piece of fact that shows up.
1: Hmm. Well, we debunked it then.
2: But we can tell our dear listeners that on uh, March 27, this very year, 2023, Mercury, Venus, Mars, Jupiter, and Uri Uran- the planet seven. <laughs> <laughs> We made a thing <laughs> about that in Fan Astronomy, that right, we gotcha. Uranus, your anus. Yeah, right. Uranus. You this... planet seven. Okay. All these five planets were on the western horizon line in an arc, along with the crescent moon after sunset on March 27th. Oh, I wish I was paying attention. And this is super rare, because four planets, that can happen. Five, very, very rare. Okay, enough is astronomy. Yeah, it's okay, though. We like it. In the year 560 BC, Solon dies at the age of 70.
1: They say that he was he was because uh, he was a cousin of Pisistratus. If that's pronounced right, and he yes before he he just constantly like paraded against Pisistratus.
0: Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods
2: I spent his last time, uh, his last time in Athens after his return, yeah. protesting against Pisistratus' power. Yes, Solon stood outside his home in full armor, urging everybody who walked by to resist the machinations of Pisistratus.
1: Yeah, they were cousins.
2: Yeah, Pisistratus usurped the force. Uh, the first time he did that but he will do that later again yes he will and uh, solon died shortly after
1: that rolling in his grave
2: solon's ashes were scattered around salamis the
1: island where he was born oh right and he also had that um victory net celebrate that remember he had the victory that he um he had the people dress as girls yes i remember that and then right and then they came and then they beat them yeah and now we have a really weird piece of information Breaking news from Babylonia? Breaking
2: news from Cyprus. Oh, from Cyprus. Yes. Uh, Okay, we now know that Amasis II of Egypt and Croesus are talking to each other, having some sort of relationship. Amasis notes that Croesus wanted the Ionian Islands but couldn't take them. So he suddenly goes very un-Egyptian and takes Cyprus. Whoa. And there's even... Some information points to that the Assyrian rule of Cyprus is still going on. Oh yeah, that could be something. But it's probably just the, sort of the Cyprus Assyrians, the assimilated Assyrian rulers of Cyprus, doing something on Cyprus. But this all ends. The Cypriot kingdoms end here, and Amasis occupies Cyprus. That's amazing. Cyprus
1: is not usually just one government either.
2: Herodotus says that uh, Amasis was the first person to subdue Cyprus and make it tributary. But we saw the Assyrians do that earlier.
1: Yeah, they sort of did that. And I think, I, I feel like that's what sort of kicked off the Bronze Age collapse. Was it, was it the Hittites that conquered Cyprus? And then once they did that, it messed up everything. Balance of power was out of whack. We'll talk more about that when we finally do the Bronze Age collapse in like 30 years. We're going to do the Bronze Age collapse. We're going to go forward, back. We're going to go back. <laughs> Uh, In 30 years or so. Okay, I'll still be around. At some point in the future. I love to do the Bronze Age Collapse. Yeah, yeah, it is very interesting. Because this basically to me, this whole fan of history that we've been doing, and you started at 1000 BC, is like the world after the Bronze Age Collapse. And it's just been getting more. And it's all the way up until the Roman Collapse. Yes. Yeah.
2: And I'm so fascinated by the Bronze Age Collapse as like civilization ends. Yeah. And that's not something we really... Even consider today. Yeah, we should no, though, but we don't. <laughs> progress can turn around and everything go backwards yeah. when civilization ends. Yes. But civilization ends for Amel Marduk oh. in August 560. Already? When he is murdered. Oh, not a surprise. The details of this murder is, of course, unclear, but uh, Neri Glissar is probably involved. His yeah. brother in law, married to his older sister. Because he claims the throne.
1: He's the richest. He's the one who's rich as Croesus, basically, right?
2: Oh, he's rich as uh, a hundredth of Croesus. Yes, right. he's
1: rich. Metaphorically, but he's rich, right.
2: And once again, we have Babylonian dating for everything. Oh, good. So you have a contract from the 7th of August, 560. Okay. Where Amel Marduk is the king. Four days later, on the 11th of August, we have documents from Babylon and Uruk saying that Neriglisar is the king. Oh wow. It seems that Nerglissa was at Babylon at the time when Amel Marduk died. Uh-huh.
1: Wait, you wanna say a little quick something? Maybe I thought of something. It's kind of like when they're writing these contracts. It's like when we change the year, right? We have to change, like you know when you start over, you have to all oh, 2022, you write it by accident. So that's like their year. That oh now we gotta put this king. Yep. Anyway, sorry. Two
2: all other parties in Babylon, it seems that the dynasty continues. Because Nerglissar is married to one of the daughters of Nebuchadnezzar, probably Kashaya, Oh, I see. And he assumes power as another king of Nabopolassar's dynasty. Oh, okay. And he makes an effort to make everything seem natural. That this Amelmarduk was a bad guy, I'm a good guy, Yeah, we will just continue this. And it seems to be a, a, a struggle within Nebuchadnezzar's extended family.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So Nerglissar is not uh, an outsider, but he's very much in the family. Yes. And takes power from his brother-in-law then. Mm-hmm. And it might even be the older siblings against the younger, depending on whose mother, who is your mother. <laughs> so this is the... Nerglissar comes from another wife of nebuchadnezzar oh Those right his line okay but now Kishaya's, or then probably her her mother's side of the family wins and nerglissar is now the king of babylon he immediately assigns an heir who is labashi marduk and that's his son.
1: Okay. Probably with Kashaya. Right. Hopefully. Then, right. Keep
2: the... Yeah. So this guy, Labashimarduk marduk is the grandson of Nebuchadnezzar II. Right.
1: So that's legitimate.
2: And we will learn a lot more about Nerglissar, Labashimarduk, marduk Nabonidus, and Belshazzar in the 550s. Whew. But that will, of course, also be the
1: age of Cyrus the Great. Yeah. We're just rearranging the chi- They're rearranging the sh- the deck chairs on the Titanic, right? Yes.
2: <laughs> and uh, the rise of Cyrus is, of course, bad news
1: for Babylon. Yeah, I mean, maybe not for the people, but for those rulers, anyway.
2: But before we go to the five fifties,
1: we have to talk about
2: Siddhartha Gautama. Oh, yay! Okay. Next episode, and I don't know at this point where we'll put the Shine episodes or the Shine episode, but my, the next episode where I will be talking a lot will be Siddhartha Gautama Part One. I'm excited to hear it. Yeah, all right. Thank you so much, Bernie, for hearing me out on this.
1: Oh, thank you so much. I mean, thank you so much for doing all this, for putting this all together for sure. I, I definitely had been reading a lot about this air, so I was able. I'm able to follow along. We had read a lot of. Um, Herodotus, but, yeah, I mean, Dan did a great job putting this together.
2: Check out our Facebook. Yeah, please. Please uh, contribute to our Patreon at patreon.com. Search for Fan of History. That helps out a lot if you do. Thank you, everyone, who's done that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. We love you guys. And spread the word. Yes, Yes, tell your friends. Tell your
2: history-interested friends that they need to know everything about world history from 1000 BC right. to 560 BC. That's what they need to know. They should abandon their hobbies, <laughs> their other interests. They should care about the Assyrian Empire and what
1: came after it. Yeah, it's very important. You wouldn't have what you have now if you didn't have that then.
2: Yeah, that's that's the thing that is important in their lives. Tell them
1: this. Yes, you should definitely tell them. Just listen while you're driving, pay attention to the road, and you will become very much more educated. Yes. And you'll know it. When you say riches Croesus, it doesn't mean crassus. <laughs>
2: The things you learn on Fan of History.
1: Yes, yes, yes. Very good information. And also we have another pod. we have another uh, show called What's New in History. So we could check. make sure you check that out too. You can tell your friends if they're not into the ancient stuff all the time. We have very with stuff. Oh,
2: I have some news for what's new in history. Oh, good. Yes, but I'll uh,
1: take that in. I'll talk about that later. Okay. All right. Well, let's end this episode and we'll... We'll get working on Buddha and China and all that stuff. All right. All right. Cheers, Mr. Dan. Thank you, Bernie. You're welcome. Cheers.
0: If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider supporting us on Patreon, patreon.com slash fanofhistory. Just a dollar an episode would help us out. Thanks, and see you next time.